I encourage you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 31 to 37 this morning. Mark chapter 7, verse 31 to 37. Let me read it for us. Then he, that is Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus, Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he does all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage now, we pray that you, by your spirit, would make this passage come alive to us. Help us to not only understand what is here, but to marvel in what we understand. To worship our Savior and our Lord for he is the one who does all things well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there are moments uh, in the gospel narratives when on the surface, it seems like Jesus does some very strange things. For example, several weeks ago, we looked at his encounter with the Syrophoenician woman. And, and on the surface, the things that Jesus says to that woman are very strange. In fact, it almost comes across as racist and prejudice. He calls her a dog because she's a Gentile. Now, of course, when we look at the text in further detail, we, we realize that there's a purpose behind what Jesus is doing. But on the surface, it seems strange. And this morning here in this passage, I think we have one of those moments where where you just kind of go, what in the world is Jesus doing in this story? But a closer look at this passage ends up revealing something, I think, quite beautiful and deeply moving. Jesus has, has just several, we don't not sure the length of time, but possibly weeks or months, has just healed the Syrophoenician uh, woman's daughter. He delivered her from a, a demon. And here we're told that he returns from the region of Tyra and he goes through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, the region of the Decapolis. So what he actually does here is he takes the long way back to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. He goes north to Sidon first and then he returns to the east side to the Decapolis, which is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Now we're not told why he does this, why he goes the long way around. Most likely, he was continuing to do ministry in Gentile territory, though all of that um, aspect of his ministry is not recorded for us. Now, the region of the Decapolis was still a predominantly Gentile territory, though there would have been plenty of Jews living in that region. So while he's here in this region, 
we're told in this passage that they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And we're told that they begged Jesus to lay his hand on this man. Now, who the they are, we're not totally sure. Possibly uh, they were family of this man, possibly friends. They possibly could have even been the disciples. We just don't fully know. Either way, they cared enough about this man that they brought him to Jesus and begged Jesus to lay his hands on him. Now this this begging of, of Jesus to lay his hands on him, this could have been a request for Jesus to simply bless him, or possibly they were actually hoping for Jesus to heal the man. Regardless of whether or not that was what they were seeking, here we see a man experiencing physically the fallenness of this world. He's deaf. He has a speech impediment. And most likely, though we don't know for sure, this man was not born this way, but this developed in his life. He most likely wasn't mute from the beginning, but his speaking was hindered, which which seems to indicate that at some point he did actually speak. He did actually hear. Either way, he's, he's become deaf. He, he now has his speech that's become disrupted, probably to such a degree that he couldn't even be understood, or at least it would have been very difficult to understand him. And I think it's important for us, as we look at this passage, for, for us to enter into this man's experience, to try to enter into his experience. He's lost, basically, his ability to communicate. He's unable to speak, but not only that, he's unable to hear. Imagine for yourself not being able to hear the voice of those you love. To be able to communicate is such an essential aspect to our humanity. Relationships depend on communication. Here's this man who, for who knows how many years... He has not heard the voice of another human, nor has he been able to have a conversation, nor has he been heard by others. He was probably misunderstood constantly. People probably got impatient with him. There's evidence to show that that in the ancient world, deafness was considered a greater disability than that of blindness. See, him being deaf probably meant that he had zero or very little knowledge of Jesus. He wouldn't have heard all the stories as as people talked about them on the street. He would never have heard the teachings of Jesus. He's deeply limited. He's a man experiencing the physical effects of sin. Now, I'm not saying he's experiencing the physical effects of his own sin, but rather capital S sin that has resulted in the corruption and decay of all of creation, and it manifests itself itself in numerous ways. Every disease is a result of sin in this world. Every limitation, every disability is a result of capital S sin in this world. Every tsunami, every earthquake, every tornado 
is a result of sin in this world. Creation has become disrupted. Creation has become corrupted. And this man's experience of death, deafness and muteness is a result of the reality of living in a fallen world. See, deafness is one of the ways that the effects of sin have infiltrated into our human experience. And this man who's deaf with a speech impediment, he is a reminder that our world is broken and in desperate need of redemption. You know, it's interesting. We, we live in a society that um, in many ways, not perfectly, but in many ways seeks to care for those with different kinds of disabilities. And often the, the conversation around individuals with disabilities is, is very positive. We, we try to, to, set the po- to, to make the positive in everything, to see the positive in everything, right? We, we want to help people understand the blessing of these individuals with disabilities. In a sense, we want to try and normalize these disabilities as much as possible so that these individuals don't feel ostracized. They don't feel other. Which is a loving and caring thing to do. And and there is absolute truth in this approach. And there is an absolute moral obligation upon us to do such a thing. There's many positive things to learn from individuals with these experiences. But sometimes I wonder, in our attempt to normalize, we forget that these disabilities aren't normal but are the result of a fallen world. And though we ought to celebrate, love, and care for those with disabilities, as we're called to care for the weak among us, we also ought to grieve over the fact that these disabilities are a result of living in a fallen world corrupted by sin. Now we don't grieve as those without hope, for we know that one day Jesus will eradicate all disabilities from our human experience. Not by ridding the world of those with disabilities like the Nazis tried to do, but rather Christ has come to liberate those who have been plagued by disability. Gracie and I have a, a friend who was born with only one arm. A wonderful guy, loves the Lord. And I remember when, uh, when him and I were at Bible college together and he shared with me that, that dealing, basically his experience growing up with only one arm. And, and he said that as he was growing up, he was constantly being taught by his parents and by other Christians to, to see the blessing in his experience. To see all the good that came from only having one arm. And it was incredible. He did everything. He played basketball. He would play road hockey with one arm. But it's interesting, he also shared with me that no one ever shared with him from his Christian upbringing that this disability that he had was a result of the fall. That it wasn't normal. In other words, his whole life he was taught that this was normal. And he said to me, it actually would have been helpful to him to, yes, see how God has used this for blessing, but it would have been helpful for him to understand that him being born with only one arm was because of the fall of this world. 
because he told me it would have only further deepened his longing for the resurrection hope that is in Christ. You see, yes, we want to care for these people, and yes, we want to, as much as possible, allow people with disabilities to live a normal life and to love them and encourage them, but we must never forget that every form of disability that any of us experience is a result of the fall in this world. So they bring this deaf and mute man to Jesus. And in verse 33 to 34, we see Jesus' interaction with this man. And, and it's this beautiful moment of intimacy. Look at verse 33 and 34. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, that is most likely spitting on his hand, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. There are several things that Jesus does here that's worthy of our attention. First, he, he takes this man aside, away from the people, in order to have some privacy. Now, there's no doubt that when you read the Gospels, Jesus will often do his miracles publicly in large gatherings. But quite often, when he performs a miracle, he often desires to have it hidden, to have a level of privacy as he interacts with the individual that he heals. See, what you see with Jesus is that he's not showy in his miracles. He's actually quite the opposite. He's a man of humility, and he displays this often when he performs miracles. He's not like the TV evangelists and prosperity preachers who are just driven by show and money and entertainment. Their goal is to gain as much attention as possible. That wasn't Jesus. He wasn't about show. He wasn't about large crowds. He was about mercy, compassion, and relationship. You see, Jesus was more concerned about the needy person in front of him than he ever was concerned about the crowd that gathered around him and sought to applaud him. He takes this man to the side privately because he wants to personally engage with this man who probably had experienced very little attention from others due to his own disabilities. But in this moment, Jesus is going to give him his full attention. He doesn't just take him to the side privately, but he also communicates with him physically. He engages with him physically. He puts his fingers into his ears. He, he spits on his hand and, and touches the man's tongue. Now this spitting and putting saliva on this man's tongue... Though very strange to us, it, it wouldn't have been in this context. This was actually somewhat a common practice. A saliva would, would be used as a medical remedy for some, or as a me medical remedy, and, and for some this was just magical superstition, but for others it was a legitimate medical practice. There are stories of the sick wanting the saliva of the emperor of Rome. Now, of course, Jesus doesn't do this because he's superstitious, he, and nor does he do this because he believes that somehow his saliva is going to cure this man. 
So what's going on then? He's engaging and communicating with this man in a way that he will understand. Remember, this man can't hear. He can barely speak. And so Jesus physically puts his fingers in his ears. He physically touches his tongue. Two areas that we would never touch another human unless it was your spouse or child. And yet that won't stop Jesus from physically touching this man in two vulnerable areas, two areas that we would naturally consider unclean. But he's seeking to engage with this man, to let him know that his deafness, his muteness will not prevent him from caring for him. He wants this man to know that he actually treasures him. See, it's important for Jesus not to just heal this man, but to also communicate and express love towards this man. And because of his limitations, Jesus communicates through physical touch. This is Jesus' love and compassion on display. See, we know that Jesus doesn't need to do any of these things to heal this man. He can just say, be healed, and the man would be healed. But he doesn't do that. He instead goes out of his way to touch this man physically. Because Jesus isn't just concerned about healing. He's also concerned relationally about this man. And and to be honest with you, this has been partly some of my frustration with this whole pandemic, to be honest. Not so much from media and, and our government, but often from Christian leaders and pastors, where it seems like the only thing that matters is people's physical well-being. That we've reduced the human person simply to their physical reality when we forget the fact that we all are spiritual, emotional people. And that it's more than just physical well-being that matters. Yes, we need to be physically careful when it comes to this pandemic. But we cannot reduce humans to simply their physicality. See, Jesus wants this man to know that he's loved and cared for. You see, it's one thing to experience the healing power of Jesus. It's another thing to know that you're loved by Jesus. And so he intentionally engages with this man. He communicates with him. And then it's at this point, we're told in verse 34, that he looked up to heaven with 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 a spirit of prayer. He sighed. He sighed. Jesus often does this in the Gospels. You think of Lazarus where he he weeps before Lazarus' tomb just before he's about to heal him. Here he sighs. Why does he sigh? Because he's grieved at the brokenness of the world. He's grieved at how the sin of this world has affected this man. But even though he sighs, he then looks to the man and says to him, Ephatha, be opened, be opened. And what was the result? We'll look at verse 35. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. 
His ears were open. He began to hear. His tongue was released. He began to speak. He spoke plainly. You can only imagine how this man responded when this happened. Some of you may have seen some videos online where they've created these, uh, these glasses for people who are colorblind uh, to see color. And I remember seeing one video where it was a father, his kids got him these glasses. He had, he's been colorblind his whole life. He'd never been able to see color. And so they got him these glasses as a birthday gift and, and they were outside in the backyard and there were trees and, and he put the glasses on for the first time seeing color. And he just began to weep. Just weep. Because he didn't know how colorful and beautiful this world was. I, I imagine that this would have been somewhat like this man's response after Jesus had healed him. To all of a sudden hear Jesus' words be open. To, to be able to hear the voice of Jesus. To be able to hear the voice of those who brought him to Jesus. He would have been overwhelmed with emotion. You see, in this moment, in this man's life, Jesus reversed the curse of the fall. He, in his compassion and power, restored this man to full health. But Jesus was doing also something else in this passage. See, in this very act of causing the deaf man to hear and releasing his tongue and allowing him to speak, Jesus was actually giving further evidence that he was the Messiah, the anointed of God, to bring about salvation for God's people. For in Isaiah 35, which, which Jim read for us, we get this, this future eschatological picture, that is the, the last days of God's final redemption and the coming of God's Messiah. And we read in verse 5 to 6 of Isaiah 35, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. In other words, disabilities will be no more. The blind seeing, the lame walking, the deaf hearing, the mute speaking is evidence that the messianic age has arrived. For the Messiah, the anointed of God, has arrived and this Jesus is he. And so Jesus heals this man and then in verse 36 he, he charges them to tell no one. As we often see in Mark's gospel, he will often command them, please don't tell anyone. But the more he charged them, we're told here that the more they proclaimed it. Partly due to the fact that they were astonished at what happened. At what happened. As we read in verse 37, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he does all things well, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. They're astonished beyond measure, and they conclude that he does all things well, for he even causes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. What a phrase. He does all things well. Most of us do some things well. Most of us do one or two things well. But Jesus does all things well. He touches the leper and heals him. 
He causes the paralytic to walk again and forgives his sins. He casts out the demonic. He has compassion on the crowds and he feeds them, multiplying the bread and the fish. He teaches with authority, so much so that people marvel. He obeys the will of his Father perfectly. He does all things well. So in conclusion, what are we to take from this passage? What does Mark want us to see? Well, one, I think we're to see ourselves as this deaf man. We're to see ourselves as this, this deaf man. See, this passage reveals Jesus causing the deaf to hear. And then in chapter 8, verses 22 to 26, Jesus causes a blind man to see. So he causes the deaf to hear, and then he causes a blind man to see. And sandwiched in between these two miracles is Jesus rebuking the disciples for their unbelief. And what does he say to them? Well, look at chapter 8, verses 17 to 18. They're, they're disputing about the fact that they don't have enough bread because they only have one loaf. And this is what Jesus says to them in verse 17 of chapter 8. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? You see, Mark wants us to see that the disciples, though they could see and hear, they were still deaf and blind in some sense to Jesus and his works. They were like these two men, both deaf, deaf and blind. And you and I, as followers of Christ, we were once blind and deaf as well. We were not able to hear the voice of Jesus. We were not able to see the glory of, of Jesus. And it's only because by Jesus miraculously intervening in our lives and saying to our eyes and our ears, be opened, that we, for the first time, truly started to hear the voice of Jesus and truly started to see Jesus for who He truly is. And friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you haven't been saved by the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Though you're here this morning and you're able to see and hear, the Bible would say and God would say that you're still blind and deaf. That you need the mercy of God. You need the voice of Jesus to say to you, be opened. And so I implore you, Cry out to Him and ask Him to have mercy on your soul to cause you to hear His compassionate, caring voice and to see His glory and grace. Secondly, I think Mark wants us to see that, that Jesus is committed to, fulfill, to fulfilling His messianic role. All that Jesus does in Mark's Gospel and in the other Gospels is to fulfill that which was prophesied about him. Which means he is committed to not only eradicating disability, 
but he's also committed to eradicating the root of the issue which causes disability. He's committed to eradicating sin. See, Jesus does all things well, but the greatest act that Jesus performed wasn't his miraculous healing, but the day when he would display his love to a sinful, broken world by dying on a cross and bearing our judgment and our sin in our place. He will fulfill his purpose as the Messiah. And causing the deaf to hear is part of that purpose. And then third and finally, I think Mark holds up Jesus for us as followers of Christ who have been saved by his compassion and love. He holds up Jesus and leaves us with an example on how to love and care for people. See, here in this passage, we see Jesus display compassion. He gives this man his full attention. He experiences physical presence and touch from Jesus. There's communication between the two of them. There's a humility on Jesus' part. See, all of these things, com compassion and, and giving our attention to others and, and being physically present and, and even having physical touch and, and communicating and having a spirit of humility, all of these things will help us to be more effective witnesses to Jesus in a world where so much of this has been lost. Think about this. We, we live in a society that is becoming more and more less compassionate. All you have to do is go on the internet and, and see how people speak to each other. There's such little compassion. Not only that, we live in a society where we are constantly, constantly not living life, giving our full attention to others. There is constant distraction in our lives. It is so easy to give people half of our attention. Married couples, you know this. There are times where you're at home and, and you're sitting on your phone and you're listening, trying to listen to your spouse, but what also on your phone, and it upsets your spouse. Gracie and I have done that to each other lots of times. There's constant distraction. We don't ever give our full attention to people the way we ought to anymore. Not only that, we don't give physical presence and touch anymore in the same way that we ought to. Everything's online now, rather than physical presence. We, we rather WhatsApp or text people than call them and hear their voice. We rather connect with people through social media rather than actually sitting down face to face and having a meaningful conversation. We're consumed with so many things that we no longer truly communicate with one another the way we ought to. But Jesus here gives us an example of what it truly means to be committed in loving and caring for others, to show compassion, to give our full attention, to be physically present, even willing to physically touch, communicating with a spirit of humility, this is the Savior that we follow. This is the example that he's 
been given, that, that we've been given. And so let's strive as followers of Jesus to emulate him in the way that he cares and loves people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus and his compassion, his full attention, his his commitment to engaging with us in a way that we can understand, his commitment to reassuring us that he doesn't just want to display his power, but that he also wants to engage with us relationally, to show us that he loves and cares for us. And so, Lord, help us by your Spirit to emulate our Savior, to live as he lived and to walk as he walked, and to genuinely take an interest in other people's lives and to care for one another. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.